Let's talk about the God who's able to do immeasurably more. Amen? Let's look about Him in first, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we continue our series, Awakened, asking God to open our eyes to see Him for who He is and to see what He has said and what He has done and what this means, the, the incredible implications this means for our life. And I will tell you, we are in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And when you get from chapter 3 to chapter 6, the beginnings of that, once you get to chapter 5, I, I consider this like the apex of this letter. It's where the good stuff just comes out and you're just like, wow, this is awesome. And so today, I might be a little excited. All right. I mean, I may be animated before, I may be a character before, but today we are talking about what Christ has done to make us new and then to call us as a new creation. And that is not something to take lightly. That is not something that's boring. That is something that should move us and and make our feet feel a little jumpy, maybe because we're moving our toes out from under the, the Word, but we're ready. So... Please turn your copy that to that page. Uh, if you are looking in one of our pew Bibles, that is page 1025. By the way, if you do not have a copy of God's Word that you can read, uh, and uh, we want to provide one that we believe is very readable and very faithful to the translation. It's a CSB. It's what I preach out of. And um, it's what many of our classes, uh, the Bible says in the back are in, but that's our gift to you. We would love nothing more to, if you need a Bible, to put one in your hands, but ultimately to get it in your heart. So, Not only take it, but read it. We don't want it to just be a decoration for our pews. So, let's stand in honor of God and the reading of His Word to see what He has gifted us in His grace gift today. We're going to be starting in verse 11 of chapter 5. And this is what Paul the Apostle writes as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind... It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who raised them, who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God. Everything is from God. I don't want to miss that part who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And working together with Him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Lord God, this is Your Word. May we make it nothing less than that. May we not attempt to misconstrue it, but we may have our eyes opened, our ears opened, our hearts opened, so that we may hear You, see You, know You, experience You, and, and trust that you, out of your gracious gift, have preserved this for us today. And that today is a divine appointment for us all. When we open the Word and we, we hear from you, it's your voice saying, this is the diagnosis and this is the prescription. This is my love and remedy of grace to you. And this is my calling for the next steps ahead. And Lord, may you do your work as only you can through your Word and your Spirit in this place today who has promised to be with us so we may know you. Help me be but your servant today, hidden behind the shadow of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Alright, so we're trying to continue through this, this, this book series of these letters written in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit called First and Second Corinthians. And just kind of catching people up in case you've missed out and if you're following online for the first time today or whatever it is. Um, the first and second Corinthians are, are two out of four letters that Paul wrote that have been preserved for us, have been kept for us, that the Holy Spirit preserved for us. And in these letters, Paul is writing to a church that he helped to found on his second missionary journey in this city called Corinth. And Corinth was this major metropolitan area um, in the uh, Grecian Peninsula, right on the Isthmus, between northern Greece and southern Greece. And it was a major trade route. And there were all kinds of business activities that were going on. But because it was also a big place, there were all kinds of illicit activities going on. And you could find whatever your heart really desired in Corinth, even if your heart was desiring something very corruptible. You could also find people that were super spiritual there. And they were interested in uh, higher learning, higher knowledge. And it is there that the gospel took root. And Paul spent 18 months of his life helping shepherd and lead this church and then leaving leaders in charge of this church that could help them move forward with the mission. But what he come to find out later around A.D. 56 when he's on his third missionary journey, he's about a thousand miles away in Ephesus, spending three years there in Ephesus. And he's hearing about the disruptions. He's hearing about the disloyalty. He's hearing about the distractedness. He's hearing about all these weird doctrines that people are picking up. All these weird teachings. And they're, they're buying it. And, and what is happening is they're being deviated away from that which Christ had called them. And it, it, it probably wasn't their intention to ever get there. But a little decision here, a little decision there, that's where they ended up. And so Paul writes them this heartfelt letter, and sometimes we see the severity of his words, but it's just his heart bleeding out as God was helping inspire these words for him, for the church, about what it means to, to open up from your slumber. Do not be lulled to sleep by these other ways, and be alert to that which God has for you. 
what God has done for you and the way He has been, He's leading you. And for some parts, it took root. In this second letter that we have preserved, 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying, okay, now that you, you've got this, I, I don't want you to miss out. Once again, I'm going to emphasize what Christ has done to reconcile you to Himself. Because if you lose the wonder of that, you're going to lose the walk from that. You're going to be deviating away. So I don't want you to miss out on the wonder of the reconciliation, but I also don't want you to miss out on the way God has called you and placed this in your hands. That He ascended into heaven and He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we too may carry this with us. We must carry it through many trials. But as we do, we can go about as a pleasing fragrance and aroma to God. We can do it as people that are led in that triumphal procession with a victorious leader ahead. We can do it as the one who has given us a treasure and he didn't hide it and bury it with an X marking the spot and we have to go on this quest to find it. He unveiled it for us and opened it to us. We can go it as with, with the one who says not only did he give us this truth and unveil this treasure, but he says it's a treasure that makes you righteous now, but it keeps a perfect gift for you available even ahead. We talked about that last week. And here Paul says, for that which he's gifted, he's also created something new in you. We want to know this. We want to know what the Scripture says. We want to know what it means. We want to know how it applies. And then we want to ask, what are we going to do about it? And here we're going to see, what does the Scripture uncover as our role as being Christ's new and called creations? And I want us to... I really pray that we'll see that there's both and here. And we'll say, all right, it's just good to be a new creation. No, it's new and called. We don't want to try to attempt to say, oh, it's need to be a called creation and then miss out on the grace that makes us new. We need to see both and here. So today, let's look. And we're going to kind of just deviate through the text because I just don't want to miss. It's so rich. So we're going to start with verse 11 and just go through 6-2. So when we look at verse 11, it says, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people what we are We try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciousness. Paul is saying, for our life as new creations, when we trusted in Him, we are meant to live as those who know the fear of the Lord. Now I know that sometimes that's not a very popular phraseology to talk about in churches today. Knowing the fear of the Lord. But it's it's having that understanding. I am standing before each day, and I will ultimately stand before on that judgment day, the one who is the holder of all authority and all eternity, who no one thought, no one word, no one action has ever escaped his view. Think about the gravity of what that likes. Does that put a little fear in your gut? Put a little tension? That's what it is. We live as those who know the fear of the Lord. That this is the God we're talking about. We're not talking about some namby-pamby, puny, silent God who walks around in a bathrobe and never says anything. We're talking about a God who holds it all. Who speaks and cosmos begins. We live as those who know the fear of the Lord. We live as those seeking to persuade and convince others with the righteous, convicting truth about Christ. Paul says we're trying to persuade others. Now what Paul is ultimately saying, he's not contradicting what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says we try to use clever conversations or, or clever words like rhetorical philosophers would try to do at the day to make their name great. But Paul does say there's something about our life that is meant to be persuasive. 
Not trying to weasel in a deal, not trying to manipulate someone to a decision, but something that's just so convincing that the, the, the viewpoint and the evidence of your life and your speech and your, and your love and your faith and your purity, it's so convicting and it's so convincing that what you say matters. What you believe makes a difference. What you tell about Christ points to Him. Paul says we're meant to live a life like that. We're meant to live a life that is demonstrating truth in our speech, in our conduct, in our faith, in our love, in our purity, our devotion to Him. So that what we're doing, it's, this is plain to God. This is, this is meant to be the normal Christian life. That what we're doing, this, this is not something that is like exceptional in God's eyes, if you will. I sometimes wonder about that in my life. What we are is plain to God is, is my life a, a normal follower of Christ? Would it, does it fit the normal expectation of the Bible? Or does it fit the normal expectation of this world? Which one has greater authority? Which one is, has greater convincing? Which one is of greater evidence in my life? But Paul says what we are is plain to God. It's, it's the normal expectation of what he's called us to. But it's also plain to your conscience. It's, it's meant to demonstrate that this is ongoing. This is consistent. And then he says, we are not commending ourselves to you again. He's like, I'm not looking for accolades. I'm not looking for the attaboys. But giving you an opportunity to be proud of us. You say, well, does that seem kind of weird, right? Because we're not commending ourselves to you, but we're giving you an opportunity to be proud of us. Which is it, Paul? He says, we're doing this so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than the heart. What he's saying is, as believers, we are living a life that is not aiming at feeding some kind of selfish need for pride to be inflated. That is not the aim. But yet we are aiming in to live a life that does display an excellency, a nobility, a, a, a focus on the good that is admirable. That someone else can say, wow, look at that guy. Not like, wow, look at that show off. But wow, what has he got? It's admirable. It's convincing. Paul goes on to say, for if we're out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So we're to live a life that will not always make sense to others around us. It's going to make us look like risk takers. What is that you're trusting in? How, 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 how could you do that? How could you make that move? How could you say that? But at the same time, it's just not going to look so off the wall if we're following the way that God has led us, we're able to explain His Word and share it with others, that we don't come off as cuckoo-coo crazy. It's going to be crazy for a little bit, but we're also to have the crazy with some clarity. With some clarity. That when we are in our right mind, it is for you. Because when we're trying to explain it, it makes people say, Oh, that's why... That's why we do that. That's why you say that. That's why you are willing to give up that time. That's why you're willing to give up these things. It makes sense now. It comes with an awareness that we are to take that risk and look a little crazy at some, but we're not to do it without explaining ourselves. We're not to do it without sharing. This is the direction. And I will not contradict which God has already made clear. But I don't want you to go without that clarity. That's one reason I'm so thankful that we, we have the availability to provide these Bibles. 
I, I, I make no bones about it. I want you to know God's Word. I want you to see that our goal as a church is never to contradict this. Because this is what has been given and will not a single letter will ever pass away. We don't like to think about it, but one day, those letters on that side out there, they're going to fade away. It's going to happen. One day this building will probably crumble. It's probably going to happen. But this has been preserved for the ages. And until the Lord returns, it will remain. And we want to make sure that we clearly articulate what is there. And follow it. So that sometimes people are like, my mind is blown with what's going on. But apparently, they believe what this book says. Apparently, they want to live it out. And they were showing me what it means. He says, for the love of Christ is what compels us. Since we've reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. See, we are meant to live a life that is infused, that is compelled, and is also propelled by the transformational love of Christ. That none of this is meant to be, all right, just get in there and pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, rub a little dirt in it, and and just do your, your job, serve your time, and one day you'll get reward for it. No, it says it's the love of God that we now have, that that's already there, that compels us. We we talked about earlier. It says that Paul says because we have received mercy, we do not give up. It's that it's the fuel, and if you're fueled by anything else than the love and mercy of God, you're going to give up. But when you have it, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Paul says this love is demonstrated by saying that he died for all. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. You see, we're going to live a life that's going to wrestle with this tension of life and death. All of life is struggling with that. Sometimes we just don't mention it. But all life is struggling with that. And we're going to live a life that even though we wrestle with this tension of life and death, we never want to lessen the complete preeminence and provision is found in Christ that died for us in our place. And because He was willing to take death and say death was necessary, then we must look at our old life and say, you know what, the old life passed away with Jesus when He went to the cross for me. Whenever I place my life in His hands, that old life, it's gone. It's done away with. He died for me, I'll die for Him. He lived for me, I'll live for Him. And I owe it all to Him. And I will not lessen what He has done for us by His grace. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the One who died for them and was raised. A few phrases earlier, Paul says that we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what the seen is temporary, but the unseen is eternal. See, we're living a life with this tension that while we're here in the earth, we're focused on the eternal. While we're living in this temporary time period, we're focused on the permanent. And, and we can look at it with a way with hope because Christ has opened our eyes to this new perspective. He's made it available to us. And because He's made it available to us, it says, therefore, when someone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. And, and I'm thankful for my brother. He's preached that message here about Christ coming as a new creation. But I want to ask, and I, I, I sometimes in my prayer life when I'm reading this verse, I, I, I challenge God, is my life the evidence of a life made new? 
or a life just grasping on, trying to hold to the old. Because you did away with the old. Why am I trying to chase after that? And obviously, if you have something new that's come from you, the one who does everything good and perfect and exceedingly good, why not chase after that? Because it's available. It's there. Help me not take it for granted. But help me also not miss that everything is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Paul is writing from this position where he, he, he realizes and he wants to communicate the immensity of grace that was given to us. That he over and over and over and over to the point of it just being repetitive in such a way, he always says, that because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, this is available. Just in case you lose sight of it, just in case you get deviated, don't miss out on the immensity of what He has done to make this possible and how He has also entrusted this work to us. That we are reconciled by Him and become reconcilers through Him. Not that we can actually reconcile someone, but we can help them be reconciled. We can point them to the one that reconciled us. And we must do this. So that's why he says that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. Who was he reconciling? God was reconciling who? The world. That's a pretty big place. That's a pretty big place. That God was reconciling the world to himself. And he's given us this little spot of land, this little spot of community to make a difference. But it is not limited in that little vicinity. That through His disciples, the world would know that God was reconciling them to Himself. And that He was not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed this message to us. Do we live with that gravity? Do we live with that focus? What do you see when you say that God has reconciled the world. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I've been a little convicted by that before. See, I grew up in a church, and there were good intentioned people in my church. I'm not blasting them. But all of them looked and talked like me. They did. You may say, that was a weird place, Right? But that was the church I grew up in. And there was other churches for people that looked and talked like other people. Now I'm, I'm just gonna step back and say there's gotta be something wrong with that. That if God was reconciling the world to Himself, then there shouldn't be a church for this type of people and then a church for that type of people, and then I will only reach my type of people and they can reach their type of people. It should be all people trying to reach all people so that we all, when we get to heaven, will say, this is not strange to us. And He's committed this message to us. But if we're going to do something about it, we've got to look at how we see our world. And wonder and get past who we may think is worthy of hearing the message. And see that God counted the world worthy of hearing His message. So they could be reconciled. And, and the only way that's possible is by receiving the Gospel that's entrusted 
and placed in our hands to take on to others. As I've shared the last few weeks this phrase that keeps kicking around in my head, that the gospel only came to you as it was passing on to someone else. And that's why he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And we were meant to live faithfully with the title as ambassadors of and for Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in two times, I think I see the word ambassador used in the New Testament. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and also in chapter 6 of Ephesians, where Paul says, Plead for us, for we are ambassadors in chains. And I think we like that word. I think we as Baptists like that word. At least richly and historically. We've been named a class after it for a long time. Royal ambassadors. It even had a flag. Yeah. But what does that mean to be an ambassador? Let's just take it from a a political view. Would an ambassador be a good ambassador if they never left their home country? Probably not. They probably wouldn't be doing the job, would they? Would an ambassador be a good ambassador if they went to another country and they said, you know what? We'll just adopt all their rules. No. Probably wouldn't be a faithful ambassador. Wouldn't they be a good ambassador if they said, oh, you know, our leader said that, but uh, you can just like pick and choose what you want to listen to. No, that wouldn't be good. Would the ambassador be good and say, you know what, I'm coming here and I'm going to wreck y'all. Y'all are no good. You're not like us. Because of that, boom, I'm going to take you out. No, we probably wouldn't like that either. An ambassador is meant to represent their native land. They're meant to represent a leader. They're meant to go to a place that is, is not their home, but they're meant to represent their, their, their viewpoint and their worldview in this place, but to do it in a way that demonstrates goodwill and helps conflicts to lessen so that reconciliation can be made known. That's what a good ambassador does. And so if we're going to take that word and be proud of it, we also need to take it and apply it. That God is going to call us if we are His ambassadors, which the Bible says that we are, we are sometimes going to have to leave that place which is comfortable from us. And that may be going across the world. It may mean going across the street. Sometimes it means going across the hallway to get the news to the person. It means that we're going to have to faithfully represent Our citizenship in heaven. And not try to diminish that kingdom as the one that reigns over all. And not try to adopt the ways of these other nations of the world. It means we're not to take less than what God's word is as the one from our leader and say, Ah, you don't have to listen to that. No, you need to know him. You need to know his goodwill and his grace that's been known to us. And our goal is not to just totally decimate somebody else. The gospel will be offensive, yes. Because the gospel calls all of us sinners. Do you know that? It does, but it says there's grace and good news for the sinner. Such as we could not find elsewhere. And we are meant to share this message so that people will be reconciled. 
This is our calling. And why do we do that? Because we see what God did to be His own ambassador to us. And not only did He represent Himself, He also took the view of a servant and laid Himself down. That He who did not know sin became sin for us in Him we might become the righteous of God. And now the Scripture says that we as ambassadors are not at this alone. We are working together with Him. And we also appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We're to live a life that has the knowledge that we are not alone in this task as ambassadors. And we're to live a life with the knowledge and conviction of pleading for people to trust in grace and not in vain. That we share to them so that they're not missing in vain. This is what you are saved from, but we don't want you to miss it. This is also what you're saved for. That it is by God's grace I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. In fact, it made me work harder. Yet not I, but the Lord who was with me. That is the move. That is the direction. And Paul's saying this is the heart of the ambassador God that we have. The sending God that we have. The one that we represent. It says, for He says at an acceptable time, I listened to you. That God had His eyes and His ears and His heart and His affection open to us. And says, see now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. He says, I helped you. The day of salvation, I helped you. I listened to you. And I've made an appointment so that you would see the grace that I've given you. We're to live with a life with that reminder that this is what God has done to give His affection and and His demonstration of provision, and His definition. He's the one that made the definition of redemption. So how do we tie that off to some neat little points? Because I know you have your little papers there. I know the the points are uh, back in the back on the PowerPoint, even though they haven't gone yet. I just want to give you five simple reminders. I gave you note space for other things. But I want to get you five simple reminders. If you're going to live as Christ-called creations, then that means you're going to be commissioned to accomplish something. You have been enlisted, each and every one of you, to accomplish something. To be an ambassador. And that that commissioning that Jesus left for His disciples is that we would be those disciples that replace ourselves. That multiply ourselves by making disciples. Of all places. You're commissioned to accomplish something. You are also under the authority of someone and never ever lose sight of that. That it is God who reconciled us and it is God who entrusted us to carry this ministry of reconciliation. And it is God that gave us the message that says, be reconciled to God. There's some authority pushed over this. We're under the authority of someone. And if we're missing out on that someone, we're missing out on everything. Not only are we commissioned to accomplish something and under the authority of someone, but we're also representatives of somewhere. You and I are representatives of the kingdom of heaven. I've been reading through the book of Hebrews and, and some of the, the language that has popped out and really kind of caught hold of me is talking about these, these faithful believers that went before us and preceded us, those witnesses that surrounded us with their evidence. 
Since they were looking forward to that faithful city. They did not receive what they wanted and, and what, they, what they hoped for here because they were waiting for that place who has the architect and the builder who is God. And may we not lose sight of that. We're represented somewhere greater. That we carry the name of kingdom citizen, child of God on us. We must be representatives of somewhere in that place more than all other places. We are meant to present Christ's message somehow. As we've been reading through this text of First and Second Corinthians, we see Paul pouring out his heart and, and saying that I have been made available to go to different places and, and to speak upon different audiences. And I've tried to make it so that somehow the message was communicated then. I want to tell you this. Sometimes it's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of fortitude. It's going to take a lot of grit. And it's going to take a lot of creativity to get that conversation there. But somehow get it there. That the whole role of an ambassador is not say, hey, I've built some place, but I want to stay there. You come see me. I'm going to go to you so that you don't miss the message. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. But God, give me the strength to do it somehow. If it means I'm going to have to become weak to the weak or strong to the strong or like the lawless to the lawless, I'm going to become all things to all people so that somehow I may save some. We must present that message somehow. And we must make sure that we don't miss out that we're proclaiming Christ's grace with somebody. I don't want you to have this abstract view of the mission, this big task of a big job. I wanted to put it and press upon your heart and even maybe even disturb your heart a little bit that God has appointed you for the task of witnessing to a person. Not to a job, a person. That that soul is someone God values just as much as He valued you. That the Gospel came to you as it was going to somebody else. Proclaim Christ's grace with somebody that just as someone took the time to share with you the gospel that there is this God who is good yes he is loving yes he is kind yes he is a friend that is closer than a brother he is all these things but he is also holy just God and there will be a reckoning one day for the offense of our sin and that reckoning can happen on that day when we face judgment or it can be right here When God says, yes, there is a reckoning, but I have provided the sufficient one, the only one, to pay the price for you. That I am holy, but I am also the reconciler. And I took your place. I am your champion ambassador. And based on what I've done for you, I've extended to the world a a gift that's strong enough for the world, although the whole world won't embrace it. There will be many who will follow the wide way that leads to destruction, but there will be the few, the narrow, that will that will respond. But we need to make sure we're presenting to all this message and that personal responsibility of this is the gift God has provided into all who received Him. He gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. And that was not by something of the will. It was not something by heritage or blood. Is from Him. And based on that gift that you receive or reject, when you receive it, there's eternity 
It's sealed and kept and perfected for you. And if you reject it, your eternity that's already your default trajectory, it's still there. But you don't want to go there. It's a bad place. But that is not the only thing that awaits. And that's also a life full, rich, beautiful, powerful testimony of life transformed here and made new and helping others know what new looks like. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, as we come to this point where we um, we respond to Your Word, I'm thankful for all the many multitudes of promises that You have given and that not one of Your promises fail. I know how many times I have not lived up to the promises I've made due to my lack of ineptitude or due to my lack of of distraction or filled with distraction or whatever. But not one of Your promises fail. And You have promised the redeeming grace that comes from You to be a new creation. To be saved from all that which was before. To be redeemed. To be cleansed. To be forgiven. You you have provided all that was necessary for us to be saved from these things that have separated us from You. And that is good news. But not only have You saved us from these things, You saved us for this life of being Bearers of the name of Almighty God. Being ambassadors of Christ's goodwill and grace. Being representatives of Your grace and gospel and glory. So God, may we be caught up and captivated by that. May we be propelled by Your love that has transformed us and helped us see our fellow man as those who have bared the image of You and when they're distant from You, it's broken and it's marred, but we can show them how You can re- be re- recreated. And may we do that with kindness. May we do that with power. May we do that with authority. And may we do it not focused on our own weakness, but remembering again, You're the God who does more. And I'm praying that that's what we see in our days. And we would just stand back in amazement saying, God, indeed You do more. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.